We here are all such innovative people. So I am telling you, if you want to change the world, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to build the Iron Man suit, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to play theme music during your convocation speech like a badass, we're at Georgia Tech. We can do that. I am doing that. And we are doing this. This is the podcast known as What's the Good Word. It's a podcast about Georgia Tech athletics by Georgia Tech alum and fans for Georgia Tech alum and fans. My name is Steven. I'm the alum. His name is Joshua. He is the fan. Joshua, what is the good word? To hell with Georgia, Steven. Always and forever. Welcome to our first episode of the new year. You're saying, wait a minute, this is being released in the second week of the new year. Well, I hope all of our dozens... And dozens of loyal What's the Good Word listeners recognize that we did not release a show last week. Partially because there, actually mainly because there really wasn't much going on. The Yellow Jacket men's basketball team had finished up in Hawaii. We had talked about that on the last show. And then they really didn't have another game until last Tuesday, or last Wednesday, I think, and we didn't want to release a show that late in the week, so we said we'll have two basketball games to talk about. The Lady Jackets played. We're going to talk about that. So we decided to take the week off because we didn't want to release an eight-minute show. Yeah, no, there wasn't exactly a ton. It would be a lot of speculation, and we're not about that. You know, we um, we give you news. We do not give you um, just... It- Talking heads. Rumor and innuendo. Yes. Uh, so we do have some uh, transfer portal news. Joshua's got some updates on that. It looks like our early assessment is now going to have to change because the number of transfers entering the portal are is going up. So we're going to have to talk about that. We will talk about women's basketball and we will devote the largest chunk of the show to the last two men's basketball games and maybe do a quick okay we're three games into the ACC schedule we're about a third of the way through the schedule you know what are we seeing what do we think what are our opinions uh, at this point the one thing that did not change during our week where we did not do a show is that Georgia Tech former defensive lineman Joe Anawai continues to be the WWE Universal Heavyweight Champion. Is that right? That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. We'll go with it. Uh, Roman Reigns continues to be the head of the table, and so we acknowledge him yet again. For we those... also acknowledge that somebody conned his way into another job. Ah, let's. why don't we do that to kick off the football transfer because... He who isn't talked about on this show has to be talked about briefly to start off. Yes. Because he transferred. G-E-O-F-F-C-O-L-L-I-N-S. Because I don't want to say his name because if you say it three times, he will appear. Yeah, yeah. And he will ruin your football program. Yes. He has somehow conned his way into another job. He is now the defensive coordinator for one North Carolina Tar Heels program. So Mac Brown... 
thank you for ensuring that Georgia Tech will win a fourth straight game against your program. Now, for those of you that are around the Atlanta area, uh, as we are, you know that sometimes former coaches, uh, I'm thinking of Dan Quinn of the Falcons, show that they're much better coordinators than they are coaches. He gets the job as a great coordinator, comes here, does okay at the beginning because he has some good coordinators, then does terrible, gets released, and he goes to Dallas and he's the talk of the NFL because he's a good defensive coach. I hope, I hope that does that is not the case with G E O double F G E O double F C O double L I N S. Well, hopefully he'll uh, he, he won't get to do things like money down and no, he, put he your will, Instagram. Well, and, he can't put it on the Titantron, but he'll definitely be telling his players. Yeah, all the stuff that doesn't matter. He he'll can, have the he board. Can do that. Oh goodness. Great. The Minister of Mayhem has found a home. Well, the Mac, Minister of know, Mayhem, ladies and Mac gentlemen. Mac Brown, kudos to him for showing grace. And uh, I, I don't think he's made a good hire, but you know, you know what it is? It's a challenge. He's showing. Look, I can hire the worst <laughs> possible coordinator in America, and I can still. Go eight and four. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, anyway, that's enough time on him. You've got other uh, transfer portal news. The number keeps rising, Joshua. Should we be concerned? So there's there's two sides of this coin, right? Um, I would be at least a little bit concerned, at least with some of them, um, because Georgia Tech is now up to 21 current outgoing transfers. A lot of them are grad transfers is what I've noticed. A lot of these kids are kids that have gotten their degrees and are now going somewhere else where they'll probably play a little bit more. They get to enjoy their last year or two mm-hmm. of football, not necessarily rotating in and out. Um, and the other big one is so far, other than two players, a lot of these kids are transferring down. So for example, um, the ones and, that we have and dest- weren't getting tons of time with us anyway. Yeah. Right? So, uh, Keenan Johnson and Kyle Kennard are the only two that are arguably transferring up. Uh, Keenan Johnson's going to Utah, which is always a decent defensive program, especially. And Kyle Kennard's going to South Carolina. Now, South Carolina isn't the greatest SEC school in the world, but it's an SEC school. So the NIL deal must have been crazy. Mm. But Tyler Gibson, the tackle, that, one of the tackles that hopped in, he's going to Charlotte. Elias Cloy going to Alabama A&M. Uh, Bryson Dixon is going to South Alabama, for example. Uh, those are two of the kids that hopped in from our recruiting class last year. Um, before before <clears throat> you go anywhere else, I have one that I know you saw. I think you saw before me, but I texted you about it. <laughs> we have to give a shout-out to Mr. Zach Gibson. Oh, it's not just Zach Gibson. Uh, Kenyatta Watson II is going to the same spot. Yeah, but okay. So they're both going to Georgia State. Yes, and they both graduated. They're both grad transfers. Yeah, so, so. you know, Zach Gibson, and so both of those guys, we, we salute you guys. Thank you for all you did for us. And and the interesting part of that is Georgia Tech will be playing Georgia State next year uh, in the second game once we come back from Ireland. So uh, I hope Zach Gibson is the starting quarterback of Georgia State. That would be a and lot And I also of fun. hope we sack you seven times, Right. I, yeah, <laughs> I hope we don't hurt you, but I hope we sack you a lot. And, Respectfully. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, then, uh, Respectfully. and then we'll all have – yeah, I hope we destroy them because we should now. That's yes. where we're at now as a program. Uh, but the other two are Ashton Heflin and Ezra Odinjor, two other you know true freshmen that didn't play. Um, Heflin went to Marshall, and Odinjor went to UAB. Mm. So again, a lot of kids transferring down, going towards a group of five schools, which you know no hate when it happens like that because they clearly were like, I would rather play early and try to get an opportunity to show what I can do, and um, you know. Nothing but the best to them. But the new kids that have hopped in the portal, I believe we talked about Noah Collins. 
He ended his career on an injury, unfortunately. But he also ended his career yes. on a sack. Yes. Uh, but the new ones are Trenilius Tatum, uh, one of the linebackers. He worked his way into the rotation this year. I think he was a junior. He had like 15 total tackles. Uh, but he is transferring, partially because Kyle Efford completely usurped him mm. from the linebacker rotation. And then you've got like, um, what was his name? EJ Lightsey coming in and still some linebackers hanging around, especially some of the kids from last year, like Jacob Cruz. I think he kind of saw the writing on the wall and he's been here for a couple years had so I, I give him credit for staying around and and battling it out um the other ones were cornerback kj wallace who was one of the starters most of the time he was a transfer i believe from auburn a couple years ago he's transferring out i believe he's a grad transfer he's been in college long enough to be a grad transfer he better be um and then you've also got defensive lineman daquan douse which is the biggest one by far because he was a pretty frequent starter yeah. for georgia tech one of the talented men up front now tech does still have talent up there obviously zeke biggers is still there makia scott's still there horace lockett's still there but daquan douse was one of your big four and now he is um, hopping in the portal. The other two are Sarad Bryant and Tyson McGee's. Um, McGee's was a grad transfer. I saw him mentioning, like, you know, I'm glad that I got my degree, but I'm going to go somewhere else with two years of eligibility so I can, you know, continue my journey. Sarad Bryant was a relatively highly um, thought of high school recruit. He was a high three star. He's never really gotten on the field, hasn't been able to crack that safety rotation, partially because of Clayton Powell Lee and LaMiles Brooks. Um, so he is transferring as well. So we're now at 21 outgoing transfers and nine incoming transfers. Now, there's still like thousands of players in the transfer portal. Yeah, I was going to say, we're early in the process. We're in the process where almost every program has more going out than have come in because a lot of these... Unless you're Colorado. A lot of these kids haven't declared where they're going. Yeah. So it's we're at the point where you know only grad transfers can hop into the portal, which is why you've seen a couple other kids hop in late, but the portal is officially closed. No one else new can come in until the spring, but these kids can, you know, declare where they want to go. And I, you know, I, this is a, let me ask a question that I don't know the answer to. I know you don't know the answer to, and I wonder what the answer to this question is, but so many players jump in the portal. I'm wondering if kind of like free agency in professional leagues where, at the end of the process, oh, 2,382 players went in the portal. How many of them land places, and are is there a number that is like, oh, and at, after the end of it, uh, 572 still have nowhere to go. Now, I would imagine they all end up somewhere, but how many in the Division One end up in F? BS? Is that the lower? FCS. FCS. I always know it as 1AA. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm old enough to call it that. But um, so, because I number. would. A good number. Yeah. And so. Some of them even end up in Division Two. Right. And my point being, and do some of them like end up just going, I, I didn't like that process at all. I'm just going to quit the game entirely, which I hate. Um, th- this is the good and the bad of the of the transfer portal. It isn't going away. You, they, they opened nope. up the, they opened up Pandora's box and, and there's a lot of it that's good to a lot of these guys who've gotten their degree and go play somewhere else, man, go get it. Go, I, yeah. Good, good on you. I, I hope you, I hope you find the right school with the right degree in a master's program that you or a second degree that you want to get and you get all you can out of your scholarship and your playing days. You absolutely deserve it for all your hard work. I think that's fantastic. 
Um, the people who you know are sophomores and haven't gotten on the field, okay, I hope you find some playing time somewhere. But at some point, do you have to go, maybe I'm not as good as I thought, or maybe I'm not as coachable as I thought I was, or maybe maybe co- you know these coaches were right at my first school when I go to the second one and I'm still not playing. Uh, I mean, then that's a conversation for every kid to have with themselves. I mean, it, it requires a certain level of self-reflection. You Correct. see a ton of kids that you know, hopping, hopping the portal after not playing at a certain spot and then they go somewhere else and they still don't play. And so they hop in again. There's examples of that all over the place. There's also examples of kids doing what a lot of these, you know, Georgia tech freshmen are doing where they come to a school and they go, you know, I might not be for me. I might need to go down a level to, because in the end, I mean, everybody's trying to get to the NFL, right? Right. More likely than not. The NFL will find you if you can play. So I give nobody grief if they transfer down and with the idea of, oh, I want to play more. Especially I, the first time. Yeah, right? especially the first time. And then I also don't give anybody grief when they hop in the portal and, and go up because it's like, okay, well, I mean, Kyle Kennard, he was good. So now he's going to the SEC to see if he can put up the same numbers there. And if he puts yeah. up the same numbers in the SEC, you'll see him become similar to like Jameer Gibbs or Keon White. Right. Where you're a, an, an early NFL draft pick, and you've now you're now set for life. And and I think we just uh, we're recording this right after the end of the college football playoff, and you know next year they're going to twelve teams. I, I <laughs> college football is one of the least parity sports leagues there is. It's funny we say that when we just had two teams in the championship. Exa- that's exactly my point, and you have to you have to acknowledge. That part of that, in my opinion, logically, has to be because of the transfer portal. No, 100%. Because the the powerhouses that could hold on to players and, and put them in the cupboard even if they never played, and they were former five stars and they and make it hard for them to leave... It's so it's so much it's so much more fluid. Yeah. Now, could, does there need to be maybe? Do they need to make it just a little bit harder? Should you be allowed just one free transfer and then make it harder to give a second? Well, that one? was there, the, that was the original rule. And yeah. The NCAA has just kind of let up because they're getting sued. Well, and because the NCAA has no power, yeah. they, they have no control. I mean, my favorite was the NIL. Well, the, the schools can't be in charge of it. Well, that's just stupid. But. But they had to say that because of the rules that were on the book. So this is a fluid situation. But yes, we just watched a play. We just watched six teams, honestly, that had some kind, at least five, that had a reason to be in the fourteen playoff. And every game was incredibly close. There were no blowouts like there have been in years past. Yeah. And it's because parity is is because the Wild West because it's just. Let's throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. And I think coaching skill matters more how you bring a team together quickly uh, and how you keep players and improve them and make them more a part of your system. So anyway, that's my opinion. Any last thoughts before we transition to... We will see what Georgia Tech does with the rest of it because they do still have, I believe, plenty of open roster spots. Mm -hmm. Uh, They will not all be taken up by the incoming freshmen because there are kids graduating. Yeah, But... Remember, the portal does open again in the spring. So, And that's when most of the moves happen to where they're going. Not necessarily. So oh, it depends. Okay. If you want to get in the program early to be able to go to spring practice, you would do it in December. But it's also harder for kids that were like on teams that were competing for the national championship. Right. They can't hop in because they would like to be there to potentially win a natty. And, 
So we'll see what happens. Spring is where you get a lot of kids where they've some of them transfer to schools and go, oh, crap, I'm not going to play here. Um, this other guy is a lot better than me. And so they'll hop back in the portal. Or you get guys that, you know, were there and then a transfer came in and has taken their job. And they're like, oh, well, I would rather play. So Well, and I think, listen, the, the, a lot of the guys of the 21 guys that have left, you know, more than half of them Keep going. are not – more than half of them are barely rotational players. So if we get back out, the nine we get back out, if they end up giving us more depth and get on the field more often, then that's fantastic. That's, yeah, as of that's now, the, the nine for. kids that we've brought in, I think, will all play some level of... So if you add more depth, and, and because, listen, I just watched the championship game. Because we did just the... add that. I forgot to mention this. We did just add a kid from Florida State, Ayabami Tafase. Uh, he's a redshirt freshman, I believe. He's got three more years of eligibility. He's a big kid. He's like... Six four, three hundred pounds. Nice. He's a pretty good mover. Um, just Florida State has plenty of talent, so that is where the nine comes from. I, I don't see a reason why any of these kids will not get on the field. Basically. All right. Well, there you go. All right. So mm-hmm. enough uh, transfer portal talk. It is time to move into basketball. We want to start with the Lady Yellow Jackets because uh, they are off to a great start in the ACC. They are two and one after losing to Florida State when Florida State was ranked, which I believe Florida State is now no longer ranked in the women's rankings uh they now have won back-to-back games they won a home game against virginia and they beat Pitt on the road so they now stand at 11 and 4 2 and 1 in the conference real quick uh the virginia game that happened at mccamish on the 4th of january uh we had uh uh we were led by tony morgan with 18 points and 12 rebounds and uh one assist, eleven fouls drawn. That is impressive. Yeah. So <laughs> she scored. She had. She was ten of fifteen from the free throw line, and Kara Dunn had twenty four points. So of the sixty three points, they had forty two of them. Uh, Kara Dunn was eight of seventeen, uh, one of five from three, seven of ten uh, from the field. She also had uh, six rebounds uh, and and one assist. So. Great. Uh, uh, we also, you know, there were Kayla Blackshear uh, helped and, and others uh, definitely helped. We didn't necessarily play a lot. We're playing eight uh, players, three off the bench, but uh, won the game uh, 63-60. They, they so did hold Virginia. them to one of 16 from the three-point line. Absolutely. And is... A whopping 6.3% uh, from from yeah. the three-point line. And we, were, uh, we weren't much better, four of 18 from three. Uh, but we did shoot. Hey, that's nine extra points. Yeah, and we were 32%. Uh, so imagine that. The Virginia women's basketball team, much like the men, it was a defensive struggle. Uh, but uh, we grinded out a win there. We went on the road uh, to Pitt on the 7th of January and won 68-58, uh, led by, guess who? Who? Tony Morgan and Kara Dunning. No way. Uh, Tony Morgan almost had a triple-double, 15 points. Uh, 12 rebounds and 8 assists. Kara Dunn had 26 points uh, with uh, 6 rebounds. Uh, Kara Dunn was 9 of 17 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3-point range, uh, and 6 of 7 from the free throw line. Uh, In fact, we actually were 11 of 13 overall from the free throw line, 85%. They could teach the men's team something about that. Yeah, exactly. 9 of 19 from 3, and we held uh, Pitt to 35% from the field overall and uh, 37% from three. So, And Pitt only went 7 of 13 uh, from the free throw line. So 
Uh, two good wins for the Lady Jackets, led by, uh, obviously, so if you want to go see the Tony Morgan Cara Dunn show, you need to see them playing. And and I was looking ahead at their schedule and kind of looking a little bit into the ACC uh, women's division. As of right now, there are no teams in the ACC that at least we're playing that uh, are ranked. So it's kind of there for the taking. Um, Tech is is off to a decent start. Uh, They play this week, uh, the 11th, uh, at home against Clemson, and then they go on the road Sunday at Duke. So they're in that two games a week grind. Uh, They seem to play mostly on Thursdays and then uh, usually Sundays. So Mm. get a chance to see them at McCamish uh, and see what the Lady Jackets can do. And, I think it's there for the taking or at least, you know, be in the mix and in the conversation. Uh, And kudos to Nell Fortner for getting these girls ready and, excuse me, ladies ready. And they are playing very well again. They are, they stand at 11 and four, two and one in the conference. They're seven and one at home. So they like playing at the friendly confines. Me too. Yeah. I enjoy it. Speaking of that, let's uh, transition over to the men because it's time to talk about the roller coaster ride that is the men's basketball ah, season yes. so far. Similar to watching Tafar Gapare or Jordan Usher or Kent Bazemore play, the highest of highs follow the lowest of lows. And right now we are around the low of lows, ladies and gentlemen. So, Georgia Tech played two games in the past week that we will talk about. They did not play anything on our break, and that was part of the reason why we did not do an episode, because there was no basketball for us to rant and rave about. Um, They got to go on a holiday break. They got to enjoy their time away. But you could kind of tell they had not played basketball in two weeks with the first game they played against Florida State. Um, They got to travel down to Florida State, down to Tallahassee. And in their second ACC game, they unfortunately struggled. They only scored 19 points in the first half of this game. They went into halftime down 13 and ended up losing by 11, 82 to 71. They did score 52 points in the second half, which was quite impressive, but the problem is they gave up 50. So there was, they played decent defense in the first half, they just couldn't score, and then they played pretty good offense in the second half, they just couldn't stop anybody. Um, looking at the box score, Miles Kelly had his, probably his best game of the season, 20 points, six rebounds on seven of 15 shooting three of six from three point range. You also had 18 from Kowasi Reeves with six rebounds and two of six, two assists on seven of 16 from the field. Uh, Bayan Dongo had his typical 10 and nine taking very few shots. He was also four of eight from the line, which is not great for the first time so far this year with by he, he was, at least evenly matched, if not a little overmatched, just because there were always two and three people all 6'10 around He him. ran up against a kid in Baba Miller who was both taller and longer yeah. than him, which is not something he has seen yet. Yeah. Um, Nate George had 7, 4, and 3, although he was 2 of 8 from the field. 0 of 4 from 3, his three-point shot has so far eluded him. He has a very good mid-range shot, and he's not bad at getting into the lane, but um, the three-point shot so far has struggled. In fact, the three-point shot, we were 1 of 14 in the first half for a whopping 7%. Yes, now, up 7 second, of 26. Yeah, because the second half, we were 50%, 6 of 12. It was funny, they came out of halftime, and for the for like the first eight minutes of the second half, they did not shoot a three. It was so obvious the message was, drive the ball, drive the ball, drive the ball. Absolutely. And they actually kind of grinded back into the game a little bit with that, getting to the free-throw line and getting some buckets and being able to kind of set up their defense a little better. Yeah. Um, five points off the bench from Kyle Sturdivant with five assists, seven points from Debo, 
Um, you can see the difference. Normally, Georgia Tech dominates the boards. This game, they got out-rebounded 33-28, to 28, uh, 9-7 in the offensive rebound category. So I think in this case, they kind of ran up against a team that does a lot of the things that Georgia Tech does well, and they do it just as good, if not better. And so Tech was not able to fall back on the things that they've been able to ride to some victories early in the season. Uh, Yeah, that's fair. Florida State probably had one of their better games of the year, especially defensively. Um, The it was they they did not call a ton of fouls, and I don't think that you know Florida it was consistent. Yeah. So it was a consistently you know well played game, and when you're going to let a little more physical play develop, Florida State is going to benefit from that, and honestly, we should too. I think we're kind of that team. We're just not as lengthy as they are. you know, we played them even in the second half, and it wasn't because they let up. We just had absolutely the worst half of basketball, uh, especially offensively. Because, you know, it was some of their defensive pressure, but we missed a ton of open shots. And, you know, the one of 14 from three. that was Those weren't all contested. That just was, we couldn't throw it in the ocean. Yeah, it happens. But the Georgia Tech did have a shot to bounce back because they played Boston College on Saturday for their third ACC game. And wouldn't you know it, Georgia Tech scored 51 points in the first half. It looked great. The offense was flowing. Every, they were getting to the rim. They were, they were playing a good brand of basketball. They were up doing math, 13. Mm-hmm. But guess what? The second half was the killer this time. They gave up 57 points in the second half and only scored 36. So at one point, I believe they led by as many as 20, if I'm mis- not mistaken. Uh, it was at no, least close. No, uh, we were up 13. At, uh, Kowasi hit a three at the start of the second half to put us up 16. Ah. That was Now, we might have been up 20 early in the first half, but I don't think so. 16 was, that was, we opened the second half with 16, and then they all of a sudden started cutting into it because, guess what, we went on a massive cold streak yeah. right at the start of the second half. Although we ended up the second half, we shot 50% from the field. You know, we were one of five from three. I think it was the turn. The, the, they started to lose control of the ball a lot more. Georgia Tech did turn the ball over ten times total in the game. And uh, we had none in the first half. So ten in the second half. Yeah. That was, they started to score a lot more on turnovers. Um, Kowasi Reeves had a fantastic game. 17 points. Six of nine from the field. Nice. Mm-hmm. Four of six from three. And he was hot early. Uh, Bayan Dongo had a great first half. I believe he had like 14 points in the first half. He ended up with 18 and 10 on 8 of 14. He did look a little tired, and he also um, turned his ankle, and he had to limp off the court. He limped up and down the court for about a minute and a half to the point where Tech had to intentionally foul so that they could get him off the court. And he got back on the court, and but he clearly wasn't the same player, but still played 30 minutes in the game. Yes. Um, you, triple-double watch from Kyle Sturdivant, 11 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. Really kind of settled the kids down when he was out there. Uh, Debo Coleman had 10 points. Tafara Gapare had 8 off the bench. 4-4 in free throws, which is a welcome sight for old our old friend Gapare. Um he had, he had a couple interesting plays, but either way. Um, you also had 12 from Miles Kelly on 5 of 10. Didn't necessarily do anything. He did have five turnovers, though, um, and 4-4 four and four from Nate George. Yeah, so Georgia Tech scored 87 points in this game. And and you talked about, you know, they, they gave up uh, so much in the second half to them. It wasn't like our second half was horrible. We were 50% from the field, but we only took 24 shots, whereas we took 35 shots in the first half and shot 57% from the field. So that those 11 turnovers were 10 turnovers were right there. You take fewer shots. 
Um, we were uh, for the game, 54% from the field, 43% from three, and 68% uh, from free throw line. So the offense was there. It wasn't as good in the second half as it was in the first. It just was our defense. You know, I, they shot 67% from the field in the second half, 70% from I, three. Watching the game, I remember Claudel Harris going crazy and getting 26. I did not remember Devin McLaughlin getting 30 points. Yeah. I do not remember that. But the big telling point with them, it's not just that they had big point totals. McLaughlin was 12 of 15. Harris was 8 of 10. Yeah. They, so, they couldn't miss. And yeah. it wasn't like – and there were some that were open because of bad defense, but there were some just fading away. And they had one particular – you know, part of this game summed up was one particular play. They had a breakout. The the outlet pass went over the guy's head. I thought, oh, that's going to go out of bounds. To the credit, they hustle. He goes under the basket and just flings it behind his back. No look. No look. And which any coach will tell you, don't ever throw it back to half court because you're you're putting it the other way to the other players. It goes by our guys. You can't really fault them because it went by so fast. Went right into somebody's hand. Right you, to an open shooter and, and striped a three. And, yeah, he just striped. And then there was one just kind of fall away three. I, it just it was one of those crazy games. The other thing that was crazy about this game, Damon Stoudemire got his first technical uh, yeah. of the year. Yeah, shout out Roger Ayers. Yeah, so uh, we have to shout out the officiating crew because they were absolutely horrible. Now, let me state something very clearly. There is no way that this game was lost because of the officiating, okay? We did enough on our own to lose the game. Damon said as much. He didn't say it that way, but he clearly said as much. He also was not going to use the post-game press conference to uh, kind of complain about the referee. He just said, I said what I needed to say. And he said he was defending his player. He was defending his player because uh, it was an absolutely horrible call. We got a trap at the top of the half court. Their player fell, and uh, the female official, I can't remember her name, but she called a foul. Damon is going up the court. He's going out of the coach's box, going right up into her ear to yell. If you watch the replay, I don't think she paid any attention. She either didn't hear him or was, or was doing what she should do of just, you know, letting it pass and and uh, and going to just let it go. And good old Roger Ayers, who has to make sure everybody knows he's doing a game, you know, it's either him or Jamie Lucky or, you know, TV Ted, you know, he's one of those three that has to make sure everybody knows Roger Ayers is in the game. And so he calls a technical from across the court, across the court, just to make sure that he knows he's in charge. This came after an absolutely horrible replay review that, by the way, took like 15 minutes. So they slowed the game down because Miles gets elbowed in the face. So Miles does kind of a cagey move of hooking, uh, hooking the guy's arm. Uh, and then hook and sell baby. Yeah. He hooked and sold. And so they absolutely, they called a foul on Boston college. Then they, then they went to review. They reversed. They still called a foul on the Boston college player. Then gave miles an upgrade flagrant flagrant Boston college gets two shots and the ball, but they called a foul on Boston college. I don't know why tech didn't shoot on that or why those two fouls offset because they gave, the they gave the flagrant and then the foul. I believe they gave him uh, well because was Miles was walking ridiculous. down the court. The defender like puts his shoulder into Miles' chest to kind of like stop him, and so Miles you know, reacts. and, and elbowed uh, up near his head. Yeah. So and then he puts his and so then Miles is kind of trying to get around him and he he 
get his, his arm kind of gets on top of his or it, it it gets to a whole thing but the Boston College guy kind of puts his hands up and gets it up near Miles' neck and is like pushing him out and Miles is He's he's kind of stumbling around. He's selling the call. It's not crazy, but I don't understand why it's not a double foul and we just reset the possession because right. it's like okay, they're both fighting. They're both trying to kind of get physical. It's been a physical game up to this point. Like just let the boys play. I don't understand why it becomes a flagrant on Miles because he's trying he he it wasn't like he put his arm down and like was holding them. It was it was a cagey veteran move. It's one of those things where I would want it called if it was being done to a guy on my team. But at the same time, I in no way did I think it was a flagrant one. I thought they were reviewing a flagrant one on the Boston College guy because it was contact near right. the head and neck That's area. what announcers were thinking as well. And, and if they had called a flagrant one on Boston College, I'd have been like, we'll take it. Right. That's a little ridiculous, right. but I'll take it. Right. And at minimum, it should have been a foul. It was a foul on them. And again, they kept the foul on on the play. So anyway, all right. It, hey, that was, Roger got what he wanted. We're talking about him. So well so done, Roger. Good again, job. to sum it up, we spent a lot of time talking about him. Yeah, I that's not why Georgia Tech lost the game. Georgia no. Tech lost the game because they started turning the ball over and they couldn't. They were playing defense like a wet paper bag. And th- it was a parade to the rim, and it was a lot of open threes. And thank you to those of you that have stuck around through our little rant. I apologize. I, I went back to my old coaching days where I got technicals, but. Let's. Uh, I, here's what I wanted to do in the last few minutes that we're together. I wanted to ask uh, for those people who are like, okay, what, what's going on with the program? Uh, you know, every time we win, people come on social media. Hey, we, this looks great. And every time we lose, those those people, the other people come on. Why do we hire this guy? This is terrible. I, I don't think any of our listeners are panicking at this point, but I, I would like to deliver this message. And Joshua, I'm going to give you the pulpit in a minute and let you deliver whatever message you want. But I, listen, I there's a reason why I keep saying this is a roller coaster ride. This is up and down, left and right. This team won four straight. This team beat Penn State and Madison Square Garden. They won three uh, in the in the Diamond Head Classic. They've beaten good teams this year. They have also played absolutely horrible basketball. They've played not together. They've stood around way too much on offense and stretches. He, here's what I've recognized to this point. This is the one thing I'm going to say differently that I haven't said yet. This team doesn't yet show any kind of consistency that allows us to say, this is the team that we have. They, are, they have stretches where they look really good defensively, and they have stretches where they look completely lost defensively. They have stretches where they look like they can shoot lights out, and they have stretches where they can't throw it in, this, in the ocean. They have so they so they really don't have an identity yet. We're a third of the way through the season, and I want and I reminded myself we got three players returning from last year's team. This is a completely different team with a completely different makeup and a completely different coaching coaching setup other than BJ Elder. And so, of course, it almost needs to be expected that they're still trying to figure each other out. And for those people who are like, Damon Stoudemire doesn't know how to coach. He's terrible on X's and O's. He's, you know, and my favorite was, that's, you know, we can't shoot free throws. That's just bad coaching. Seriously, do you honestly think they aren't practicing free throws in their practice? Damon said something really good in the post-game press conference. He, he said that, uh, and this was after the Boston College game, he said that, uh, or, or maybe it was Florida State. I can't remember which one. He said the effort is there, but the compete isn't. They're not competing. He said there's a difference between effort and competing. 
You know, anybody, he goes, effort is there. And he goes, that's good. You got to start with effort. He goes, but you got to compete. You got to, he goes, those are little things. Those are not getting caught out of position. That's, that's going after the loose ball. That's kind of, it's, it's a, it's a level of competition and competing that that's where you start with the consistency. So I think if we can see them compete or if he sees them compete, that'll be the first thing where we can say, okay, now we know what we have. The other thing I'll say is this, and then I'll let you talk is, I just keep wanting to remind myself this is going to be the team for the most part that you get not only the rest of this year, but next year. We're really not graduating a lot unless you get the old transfer portal, which I don't, I see a lot of buy-in. I'm seeing nine, 10 guys play and I'm definitely seeing buy-in from all the players. You've got, you're being led by two strong freshmen that you weren't expecting there's a lot of there's a couple of juniors on this team and a couple of sophomores. So there's a lot of youth and a lot of longevity that can be found on this team. So we can watch them mature over the rest of this year and into next year while we're also adding three pretty decent freshmen, I think, next year. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have the floor, right? Yes. I have the pulpit. Yeah. So the, there's a couple different things that I want to talk about. And the, the reason that... I think it's incredibly stupid to come in 14 games into his tenure and say that he was the wrong hire. Uh, First of all, again, it's 14 games into his tenure. It's way too early to be judging him. Um, And he's also got a completely, a roster that still, I think, is learning how to play together, right? I mean, he brought in so many transfers and he has so many freshmen playing a role. And not to mention, even the guys returning, they're learning a completely new system. When Josh was here, the system, basically everyone knew exactly where they were supposed to be at all times. Everybody had a routine they had to go through. They would do the exact same cuts on every play. They would reverse the ball the same way every time. And there was a certain level of if that didn't work, they didn't know what to do. Damon is trying to get them to play a more NBA style of offense where it is, you're a basketball player, you're a smart kid, read the floor and figure out what we want to do. And... And if everybody isn't doing that, yeah, so you get standing around. You get the kids that just, you're, so far they're just kind of standing in the corner because it's like, well, I'm not sure what to do. So you're trying to teach kids a, a, re, a relatively new brand of basketball while they're still trying to learn some of some things about their teammates. You've got two freshmen starting that didn't even play the first three games, so they probably weren't expected to be part of the rotation. Uh, and then you also were probably planning on Lance Terry coming back this year. Mm-hmm. And he was going to be one of your main scorers, and now he's not coming back. Um, but the reason to be optimistic to me is these very these reasons. You've got three players probably graduating and moving on after this season. Um, and they're three guys that are good, but I wouldn't say that they're groundbreaking. Kyle Sturdivant's the biggest one that's leaving, and he is your sixth man, right? You've got Ebenezer Dewana and Tajon Claude, who will also be graduating. Good players, but they're both guys that, I mean, Dewana plays 12 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Tajon plays maybe 15. All of the important players can come back for another year, even two potentially with the COVID year. If Miles Kelly gets some good feedback in the draft, he might leave, but I don't think he has shown anything this year that was different than last year. So I think he'll come back for another year. Debo Coleman's a junior. I don't see why he doesn't come back next year. Kowasi Reeves is a junior. I don't see why he comes back. And then you've got Tafar Gapari as a sophomore. And then Nate George, Bayan Dongo, Ibrahim Asako are all true freshmen playing. They're true freshmen, and that's why I think Damon deserves the benefit of the doubt because from a broader perspective of what the program is about, Damon Stoudemire found two freshmen last minute who at least Nate George reclassified to get into this class 
these guys were not heavily recruited. By Dongo was going to go to Rutgers, or he he was being recruited by some some smaller name schools, and Damon flipped him last minute, and now he's starting on an ACC team. Nate George had like no Power Five offers, reclassified because he played well at one AAU tournament, and now he's the starting point guard to an eight and six team in the ACC. And then not to mention Damon Stoudemire has gotten a top forty kid in next next year's class, a top eighty kid. And then Cole Kirouac, and he's getting in the conversation with top 10 kids in the 2025 class. Damon Stoudemire has built some crazy relationship so far with Overtime Elite. And realistically, that could become the most fertile recruiting ground for Damon Stoudemire. And the fact that he's getting these conversations going and he's getting into these gyms, I like Josh Pastner. Josh Pastner never talked to anybody in Georgia, it seemed like. Right. All of his kids were from other states. And, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Miles Kelly was a great pickup. But he wasn't getting these top 40 kids that were in his backyard, especially when Overtime Elite started up. This is now, like, if you're an elite high school kid and you want to play a year in a prep school, you you can make good money, play an Overtime Elite. And guess what? That's like 10 minutes down the road from Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. So Damon Stoudemire was like, dude, I sweet. So he's gotten two kids from there in 2024. He's talking to a top point guard in 2025 from there. And I believe a top big man from there, too. I... Damon is has read the college basketball landscape, I think, flawlessly so far, and is really taking advantage of that. And he's again, he, he already showed he can recognize talent by getting Ndongo and George in here. And not only that, so here's the important part: because Ndongo and George, like your to your point, they were not heavily recruited, but I think Damon saw that they are the type of player he wants. They are seem to be two of the most comfortable players in this new system. Nate seems to know kind of what to do. Now he's making freshman mistakes, and Bai is becoming our leaning scorer, and I think it's because they he sees that they play the style he wants them to play. I think Kowasi is starting to get more and more com- comfortable and confident in what he's supposed to do and becoming a leader. And then, you know, Kyle and Debo just kind of seem to be the steadying influences and do, you know, fundamental things kind of when needed. So it's going to be interesting to see how this team, can they grow? Okay, so they've been punched in the mouth again. So at the beginning of the season, it was the UMass Lowell game that they played so terribly and they had that bad stretch in the first part. Okay, here's their first bad stretch. We get to play Notre Dame. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, so they play Notre Dame. And then they got a stretch of Duke and Clemson and Virginia. So, hey, you're in the teeth of it. So every game is going to be, a, again, if this team plays well, I don't think there's a team in the ACC that just walks in and beats us if we're playing well. The problem is if we play poorly, I don't think there's an ACC team in the ACC that can't beat us. Even Notre Dame and Louisville are going to have shots. So, Let's 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 walk, let's ride this ride together. We'd love to know your thoughts. Tell us what you think, and let's let's give him some time because I like what I see. By the way, I was going to say this one last thing. You brought up Josh. The thing with Josh Passner that I knew was our identity was we played hard defense. No, every team he had, nobody liked to play us because of the way we played defense. 
So that was an identity. Now, our offensive identity was we can't, you know, run it down to five seconds and then throw up whatever shot you got. I mean, at, at times, that was our offense. Hope identity. Moses bails us out. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, we had an identity with Josh, and I think Damon is trying to develop an identity, but it's not there yet. So let's see what it develops Because it into. takes longer than 14 games yeah. to truly develop an identity, especially when he hasn't been a head coach for like three years. The other thing I'll say also about Damon is, uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, he wants to bring people in as freshmen and keep them there. So look at what he's already brought in. Look at what he's going to bring in. And if, and it, you know, oh, well, the transfer portal will take him away. Not if these guys buy in. And I think it's easier to keep a, a recruiting class together in basketball than it is in football just because it's smaller. And also, I mean, you've already got two kids that have signed their NLIs, so they're, they're already guaranteed to yeah. come. So I like it. So, all right, we have gone on longer than I thought, which is typical. If you want to uh, let us know what you think, Joshua Julian26 at Outlook.com, please send us an email. Uh, you can critique us. You can uh, tell us that we went too long, or you can uh, critique our critique of the referee or whatever else you want to do. Uh, but we thank you for listening and we want to remind you of the most important question from this show. What's the good word?